Hello and welcome to the KBHH podcast, where we are looking at doing things differently in the equine industry. From new technologies to equine behaviour to well-being within equine practice, we've got something for you. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy the show. So we're here for another exciting episode of the MSD podcast, where we're exploring doing things differently in equine. And when Naomi and I and Blaze were putting our little heads together to think about the things we wanted to bring forward, the woman that we are about to interview definitely struck a chord. Emmanuel van Erk, who runs Equine Sports Medicine Clinic, and she is a European diploma holder in equine medicine. She is the team vet for multiple Olympic eventing and show jumping teams. She is an all-round superstar as well as an amazing communicator. And we really wanted to get her on today to talk about the use of tech and data in equine practice um, because she has been doing some fantastic work. So, Emmanuel, welcome. Thank you so much. Um, It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Naomi. It's great to be with you and Ebony. I follow all the things that you do, and I'm really excited to share this with you. I think we're living super exciting times. We've got access to technology like never before, and I think that we really need to take the most of it to our practice to make our lives easier and probably more interesting as well. So how did you become interested in the application of technology in your practice? Before my life in practice, I used to work in academia, and it was a time where you know you had to run horses on the treadmill to be able to do exercise tests because you had to hook up the horse to electrodes if you wanted to have an ECG you had to uh, use your regular endoscope to do dynamic endoscopy and then all of a sudden these uh, wearables started to appear so we had telemetric ECGs that you could hook up on the horse you could use overground endoscopes you had watches that were normally dedicated for human athletes that you could kind of tweak to give you information on the exercising horse, like speed and geolocation and things like that. So that really uh, stirred my interest because it was my exit from academia, an excuse to start my own private practice, uh, because I had all the tools now and I could get rid of my link to the treadmill. Of course, in the beginning, we were using uh, devices that were made for humans. And so all the software that went with it, we weren't talking about smartphones at the time, that was 12 years ago, the software that you had was pretty difficult to navigate. Each time something new could improve the easiness with which you could gain the information was to me super interesting. Because I started by collecting speed with a polar watch and then ECG with a televet. And then I had to sync the data. And it took me a lot of time. When you get back home after a long day on the road, the last thing you want to do is sit in front of a computer and try and merge all that data. Incredible. It's such an amazing time, isn't it? We're living yeah. in a time where stuff is developing. So, so what kind of data are you looking at 
and why? Like you've just said there about speed and ECG. What else is kind of happening? Now you're supporting the marginal gains of incredible athletes at Olympic level with the equines and the humans. It'd be lovely to kind of hear about what's going on there. In human sports, exercise testing has become compulsory. So if we're looking at applying it to horses, you want to know how the athlete functions so that if ever he shifts away from what is considered the best or the norm, then you can wonder why that is. Is it because he's overtrained? Is it because he is undertrained? Or is it because there's a subclinical disease that's lurking in the uh, background? Can we get cues on how the horse feels by measuring a number of parameters? And so I think that the really basic parameters like speed and heart rate give you two really important information. Speed gives you an information on the workload, what amount of work is my horse doing, and then the duration as well, how much time is he spending at this particular speed. And then the heart rate gives you a, a really sensitive measurement on how the horse reacts to that workload. If the horse has cardiorespiratory condition pain, or any kind of painful condition, then his heart rate will be abnormally high as well because it imposes a stress on, on the horse. It helps you to follow not just training. It's really a very interesting way to record subtle things that you might not see in an obvious way when the horse is standardized exercise. Yeah, that subtle way, it's, it's almost like it's personalized healthcare part, which I just find so fascinating. Because that individual might be sitting on a bell-shaped curve that isn't normal for maybe, you know, the rest of that horse population, but actually is performing at a good level or, or, or not, as the case may be. Yeah, something I became super fascinated when I did my PhD looking at the gut health of horses in racing and just realizing, yeah, we're at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the data we can collect there for personalized dietary stuff, you know, mm -hmm. or, or antibiotic treatment, et cetera. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. I remember you touching on your capacity from looking at your data to be able to predict which of the elite horses in the teams you look after was going to perform the best. And you, knew, you said you knew in advance at the Olympics which one you were pretty sure was going to win and which one wasn't. Can you just talk a little bit about the sort of trends you were seeing and how you knew that, you know, you've obviously got an amazing Emmanuel crystal ball there, but can you just talk a little bit about how you can make your future predictions and, and what sort of things you're looking at to, to know that in advance, I guess, because I think people don't realize that you can not only look historically, but potentially look forwards as well. You're trying to draw a picture with a lot of different elements. So of course, your clinical examination is, you know, the basic. If you've got anything that you see that could be a sign of a problem, then you know it's no use setting off doing loads of exercise tests because you already know that something is wrong there. If we take the example of Olympic horses, there's a lot of politics as well, because the person who's going to select the horse might not like this rider or that horse. Doing exercise tests is a way of setting the same standards for everyone and seeing how the horses fare over a standard test. And so it might seem paradoxical, but if I take the example of show jumpers, they're not optimally trained for what we ask them to do. If you look at their day, they're usually going to the walker a little bit, 
15 to 30 minutes, and then they'll be ridden for an hour. And then the rest of the time they spend doing nothing in a box. Not a lot of them go out to the paddock because horses, you know how they are, they can get a little bit naughty and then hurt themselves. The riders don't realize, you know, how uh, very standard their training is. Walk, trot and canter. They never jump at home. They seldom go uphill and downhill or go out to the seaside and canter in the water, things like that. But it's very important that if you are trying to build up the horse's body for a particular competition, you need sometimes to go into the higher uh, intensity of exercise. And I know that for injury reasons, they don't want to do that jumping the horses, but they could very well go out and canter on a cantering track or yeah, go up and downhill because these are exercises that are really good for the power muscles that they need to go over the jumps. Doing the exercise tests prior to top level competitions it allows you to see a little bit what everybody has been doing in their own garden and then compare how the horses are doing in one related to the other. If you're doing that well in advance, several months in advance, it allows the rider to get a chance to adapt and if the horse is not progressing, then ask yourself why. I think an important part of animal welfare, because you are choosing the horse that is fit to perform to go out and do his best performance. Now, I've been working in sports medicine for 25 years. It's taken me almost that long to convince riders that they should do for the horses like what football players do or uh, rugby players do or swimmers do which is take care of their own health. And whenever they see that they're in the red zone, kind of slow down and maybe recover. It goes also the other way. We've had eventing horses where we thought that a particular horse was coping uh, well with his training. And then you look at his parameters and you can see that he's really low. So we're not starting to bring that horse to the interesting uh, work zones, he's really underworked. And <laughs> you can say, well, you know, maybe you can push that horse a little bit more. And then all of a sudden it becomes the best horse in the stable because he he was undetected <laughs> before we got these tools to measure. Or just finding it a bit too easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing because one of my kind of big burning questions, I guess, that I often have is why, given that Every amateur human athlete, whether you're a runner or a cyclist or a triathlete or whatever, everybody has a Garmin and everybody's tracking. Your watch tells you when you need to be in recovery. It tells you when you're, you're detraining, even as amateur athletes, all over this in human sports. Why do you think there's been such a resistance to do anything like this in equine? Because I've come out of working in racing and I cannot tell you how little is done. I still find it remarkable that even now people involved in any equine sport are probably looking at this data on themselves, but have no idea about their horse. And I was wondering what your take on that was and why you think it is that we haven't adopted it more readily. Yeah, that's a really good point. There's several explanations. The first one is that horses are such phenomenal athletes in comparison to us that they don't require the same amount of sweat and tears that we put into <laughs> our training. 
Horses train really quickly and detrain very slowly. So they're remarkable athletes. So I think that that's one of the points. The second point, and, and you pointed that out really clearly, is that there is a reluctance to change. We've been doing this forever, so we're not going to do any differently. But I think seeing the success of a system like the Equimeter from Arionil has given me some cues as to why that is. And it's because it wasn't tailored to the trainer's needs or the rider's needs. And it was too complicated to use. If I take the example of the Equimeter, that is a device that allows to measure loads of parameters like speed, heart rate, ECG, stride frequency, stride length, a lot of different things. I think the, what really was a game changer was that this system reads the horse's chip. And so you don't need to connect the device to any computer like we used to have to do. Here you scan a chip number, you automatically have the horse's name and everything is automatized. So you just need to put a girth underneath the horse's saddle, connect it to the acrimeter. It's not at all time consuming. It's very user friendly. What are you interested in? Are you interested in you know, the speed over a furlong? Are you interested in how the horse recovers? And so they've been working very hard on doing a simple platform. Everything is then streamed to the, to the cloud. And, and you've got all the trainings of all your horses. You can compare a horse with himself over time. You can compare your horse with all the other horses of the same age in the yard over similar exercises or when they were on the same racetrack, etc. So it gives you... A lot of information, but in a very simple way. Uh, that's really, really exciting because it is going to allow us to do what has been done for, for human athletes. So it's following the training. And then when you have things that are abnormal, you can get like signals saying, you know, you should look into this exercise because this horse, this horse's exercise is really getting worse and worse. And maybe you could look into it and see why this is. Yeah. And as, as someone who, unlike the three of you who have been involved with competition horses at a very, very high level, I've always been involved in the welfare aspects of horses. And actually what I'm hearing now and hadn't even thought about it is actually how this data can be such a good welfare piece of kit, not just finding your gold, as it were. It's that welfare piece of kit, isn't it? If it was used in general practice or used in working animals in, in other countries, scenarios and cultures, is there a subtle problem we can do something about? Or is this horse unfit for purpose? This gives you actual evidence, not just, I think you should try a different horse. It's like saying, you know, this is data. And I think that, that, making that, that having that data that's so clear I think that's a fantastic thing to have because it yeah it provides that very clear evidence from a welfare point of view. And I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. I think it's going to be really important for the future of sports because there are a lot of animal rights movements that want to ban sports and horses. And I think that will really be a mistake because I see horses every day that love what they're doing and would be miserable if they were left in a box doing nothing or in a paddock. Right now, we're doing some work with different racing authorities that want to improve 
the way that they look at horses during training. And the Hong Kong Jockey Club has been investing quite a lot of money into that, trying to prevent the horses from having injuries, cardiac arrhythmias, exercise-induced pulmonary hemorrhage. We've had in France a horse uh, recently that had, uh, you know, that was performing poorly during training and not gaining any weight. And, and really, the trainer said, I don't know what's wrong with it, but it's not conditioning like all the other horses. He's he's not getting into condition. We looked at his ECG that was very arrhythmic at the peak phases of exercise. And then when we investigated, he he already had a primary cardiac problem. It was compatible with lower levels of exercise, but not with what is requested of a, of a racehorse. And so thank God, you know, that was identified prior to the horse participating to a race because probably that he might have been injured during a race because of that underlying condition. So he was retired. He now belongs to a very nice lady who just rides him for leisure. He's a happy horse and everybody's happy because the trainer also does not have a bad reputation for running horses that aren't fit to run and hasn't lost money in time and training for a horse that could not have coped with it on the long term. That's how I have a very, very expensive lawnmower in my own home. (laughs) He was on my research horses and he came home with me. (laughs) And you're so grateful for him every single day. My Um, bank balance isn't, but I am. No, no, no. And and so, Emmanuel, I just wanted to wing this round to kind of practitioners, because I think some people might be listening to this driving around thinking, okay, so it's fine for fancy Emmanuel and her Olympic people, or it's fine if you're at the Hong Kong Jockey Club and you've got all this money, blah, 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 blah. So, but I guess thinking about more first opinion applications, how do you envisage that whether it's, you know, things like the Araneo forms of data collection with the Equimeter or, or anything else we've been talking about. How would you see the work that you do being implemented by, by practitioners at the coalface, I guess? And, and can you give us any tips or thoughts on that as well? Sure. So I, we talked about the Equimeter by Araneo, but there are lots of other connected devices that are really exciting and that allow you to follow your patients, your equine patients from a distance. You're, you're in ambulatory practice. You can't be next to every horse like a practitioner that would be in a clinic could, could uh, afford to be. So it's a way of giving responsibility to the owner and saying, well, this is a device to survey your horse. It could be like a connected camera. You have little cameras that are very easy to place in the horse's box and they've got with artificial intelligence. So they're not going to give you 24 hours of footage that, you know, you're going to look and accelerate it. They're going to pick up the way that the horse stands, how much time he spends lying down. If he spends too much time lying down or being agitated, then it will give you a signal to say, hey, something's wrong. So instead of staying next to the horse and and wondering if the colic's going to go one way or the other, you could use that. You have other systems that do the same thing, but without video footage where you evaluate the horse's heart rate, respiratory rate, temperature, level of activity, because they have uh, inertial motion units that tell you what he's doing. And there again, if you've left a horse uh, that you've seen for colic and you're not quite sure how it's going to go, then you know you can place that piece of equipment on the horse for a period of time, and then you'll get called whenever it's necessary. If you're looking at 
active horses, it's also a way of teaching the owners how their horses are. So there are some simplified systems for riders where you've got an inertial motion unit on a girth, for instance, and you can evaluate basically uh, how much time the horse spends at walk, trot and canter, left hand, right hand, if he's symmetrical in his gait. It's not a lameness locator in any sense, but it's just a way of, you know, recording what's happening. It's a way of creating a link between the horse and the rider, a kind of insight into the horse, into the way the horse functions. And if something is off, because these systems can also record your sessions on and on, then it gives you a link to your vet. I think it's going to give uh, a lot of uh, vocal power to the horses. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose as well, it, it's vocal power to the horses. It's It's deepening our language with them. But it's also supporting the bond, isn't it, between the owner, the horse, and the vet. It's and it's it's also a supportive of, of compliance, which is only ever a good thing yeah. in this day and age. But actually, it, it acts as a real conduit, doesn't it, for us all to like co-agree on what's actually happening, not what we yeah. think is happening or we assume is happening. Another thing that might be useful as well, because you were talking about compliance, and we're working with another company that is testing these little pods that measure general ambience. That also gives them an alarm whenever there's too much dust, too much CO2, too much humidity, how the temperature is evolving. That gives them hardcore objective evidence of what's wrong. On the farm animal side now, farm yeah. animal clinicians spend a lot of time doing herd health planning. It's all about yeah. preventative medicine. Yeah. And the kinds of modifications you're talking about are through data acquisition and planning and giving people that those kind of clear strategies on the welfare side, on the environmental side, on the uh, training side, which is so much more around preventative healthcare rather than firefighting a problem. Exactly. And it really strikes me that as we move towards tech and data acquisition, that is what we're going to be doing with a lot of horses. And actually... That's a great bond to have with the owner, but it is a different relationship to my horse has cut his leg, let me phone my vet. Exactly. This is so cool. I think it's so interesting. Yeah, it's bringing the science back to the art and science of veterinary medicine. <laughs> and it's wonderful because it actually allows people with veterinary passports to not only be that clinician, but to use that scientific brain that they also might want to be using. You become the analyst again. You get to, in some respects, use a bit of your research acumen in daily practice. And I think that that's a lovely way to be flexing your mind as well. So it's a, it's also giving your, your brain um, something else to, to think about and a challenge and a problem to solve, which yeah. is something that we all kind of crave, I think, as a profession. Well, Emmanuel, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat this through. Um, I've really enjoyed hearing all about it and I know it will have been really useful for everyone listening. Um, so Thank you so much for your time. We are super grateful. My pleasure. It's been great talking to you guys. Well, I'm going to re <laughs> report back on how Albert and I fare with our data collection. <laughs> Many thanks to Emmanuel for that really interesting look at what she's doing. And now on to Blaze from MSD. Well, we're quite excited because we've got one of MSD's own in the hot seat today, haven't we, Naomi? Which we've been wanting to to pick her brains. 
I know. Uh, she's somebody who has been deeply involved in this project from the very beginning, bringing together all the wonderful people that you have been hearing in this series. And we are absolutely delighted that Blaze is with us today. Hello, my friend. How are you? Hi, guys. It's good to be here. It's good to have you. She is the Equine Marketing and Technical Manager at MSD. Blaze, just tell us a little bit about yourself. What does that job actually mean? Because I think when everyone has a fancy job title, it's always useful to have a clarification of what you actually do. Yeah, it's a big title. So I'm a diversified vet. I came out of practice about eight years ago into like a more traditional industry vet role. And then whilst I was in industry, I was like, oh, I want to learn more about business, did an MBA and then came across to a marketing technical role about three years ago. And that literally means that I oversee the marketing for the equine department and that's traditional marketing and the forecasting for all our products. But I also still get to do the technical side of the products. So that's talking to R&D, that supporting practices, that's going out to practices still, which is a bit I really love. So I still get to go out and see people who are real vets. So yeah, so it's quite a broad role, but it means I get to indulge quite a few passions of mine. I love this. With this diversification, Blaze, you know, and doing the MBA and being in a company where you're working with R&D, you're clearly someone who's interested in innovation, interested in technology, interested in what, what we can do next to support animal health veterinary professional life so what does that innovation or or being at that forefront mean to you personally so for me it's always been about not leaving behind my roots as a vet and sort of giving back so it is literally looking for ways that we can either improve animal health or that we can improve vets life and health as well and it's how do we support that which sometimes if you're looking at you know one of our pharmaceutical products it could be like how does that fit in but it's more bringing it all together and as you said in the innovation and saying okay well we've got this product you know what would really be nice is to maybe team it up with this other ability so can we do that and being part of MSD we have this big overarching it's very corporate the science of healthier animals but that sort of fits in because you can go to them and say this is what we've got this is what we want do we have the capabilities and we're always expanding and buying new businesses so sometimes it's like no we don't but wait or no we don't but we're doing cattle go and have a chat to someone else so that's the beauty of doing what I do and, and innovation is that it might not even be pure innovation as such it might be adaptation and so it's nice to be able to have the ideas sometimes it's a flat no that's ridiculous but it's it's that's the beauty I find of working for a massive company I know it's not for everyone um, but I do get to hold on to those values and then try and intersperse that with the values of the company. That cross-pollination as well Naomi you can hear that can't you like the cross-pollination between you're not just there on your own trying to fix a problem you've got a whole team of experts in their own field. I really liked what you said about not leaving behind your roots as well, because I think sometimes wrongly people think that when you leave practice, you've stopped being a quote unquote proper vet, which I know is something that you have come across a lot with your work in VSGD. So it's really, really lovely to hear that. Blaze, do you want to just talk to us a little bit about what innovations you've been coming up with recently at MSD? I know that we've now got thermal microchips on the market, which is very exciting. Yeah, so we launched Thermochip at Home Again Thermochip at the end of last year, at the end of 22. And so the Home Again Thermochips were 
actually a company we acquired and they had the technology. And so they were, we then took it forward and launched it. And at first I was a little bit like, oh, what is this? I came back from maternity leave and basically got handed the project. But then I started to see that, okay, it's essentially a normal microchip. So it would read as a normal microchip that any reader can read. But then essentially it will also read a horse's or a cats and dogs, because it works for them too, temperature from at the site of implantation, which initially can be like, oh, it's not a rectal. Obviously, we, we, we're very used to rectal thermometers. But then it, you looking into the, into the science of it, you realise that it's not about being a rectal temperature. It's being about building trends. It's about empowering owners to be able to take a little bit of control of their horse's health. And then there's also the safety aspect, particularly in equine practice for vets. You don't have to be bothering about the back end of a horse. Obviously, these chips, hopefully they can't go into horses that already have a chip. So it's foals. It's getting them into foals now for a few years time. But, you know, in hospitalization situations, which could be a foal or an adult horse, they they have massive health and safety implications for for vets Um, and just ease of use as well. And then for owners, that's we're out there at the moment trying to speak to a lot of breeders and, and professionals around getting these into into the foals so that then they have a health snapshot essentially of the horses on their yards and there's a bigger piece we're looking towards around biosecurity events hopefully for the future because the temperature and the id chip number are they're bound together so you could just read temperatures as part of your passport checks upon entry that's so cool because actually think about like the EHV outbreak in Spain in the show, in show jumping and so not that that could have been avoided, but that if you we were looking at their chip when they arrived and you've got the temperature ingrained into that just gives you so much more information about those horses when they're coming in. Yeah. And what we think is baseline might not be baseline for that horse. So we'd already know that because it would have been taken at home or on the yard. And for the future, we'd love to obviously go once we've got more data around it, we'd like to say a Shetland's temperature is normally this, a thoroughbred's temperature is normally that. And, and so it wouldn't necessarily avoid every situation, but you could almost say, well, that horse is half a degree above what it normally is. Maybe they need isolating for two days, three days. So yeah, it's it, there's definitely wider applications to it in every part of equine industry, I see. There's just so much scope there. We could probably talk for half an hour on each one of the points you've just raised there. But how are we monitoring it? It's all good and well having the chip, but then, you know, how are we empowering the owners, the carers to actually monitor? How do we enhance that, that kind of personalised monitoring and then support? It's an ongoing process. Getting the chips into the horses is sort of the first step. And then the readers Bluetooth the temperatures and you can link them up with an app. And we're also working on like a behind the scenes piece about how this obviously data is managed as well. So that, you know, there is a a future piece around being able to provide health trends and that sort of thing. And getting the chips into the horses and getting this launched is sort of the first step on our journey. That's super cool. And uh, you mentioned apps there, which I just exploded over the last couple of years. Everybody has an app for pretty much everything now. And I think we would all be in agreement that there's so much useful stuff happening in the app market. How do you envisage that we can enhance that relationship between vets, animal healthcare professionals, nurses, practices, and owners or trainers of horses as well, Blaze? 
So I think, as you've probably alluded to, it's a digital piece because we have the technology or we're working towards the technology around, you know, an owner has a phone, can input data about their horse's health, which I see in a long term somehow transfers to the practice. It allows them to see what's going on. When I was talking about thermochip being the first step for us, I envisage a future around technology for MSD and, and us supporting that interaction between horse owners and vets and the data we can help them collect. And it's around, you know, helping horse owners to understand if they do need to call a vet, spotting signs earlier, that sort of thing. It definitely sits around a digital interaction and exactly what that looks like right now. It could be an app. It could be whatever the next phase of digital transformation is. It's exciting to think the possibilities are quite wide right now. It's lovely to say these things. And it, and, and when we, we think about them in that kind of future sense, they sound great. But there's so many steps to get there. You know, with your experience, how can we be encouraging practice owners, organisations, veterinary professionals? to keep iterating and developing themselves in their own practice, in the way that they work, in what they use? I would say my first, it might be a plea, um, is be open-minded. Like when the thermochips were presented to me when I came back off mat leave, my first thing was like, oh, what, oh, is this a yes or is this a no? Like, I wasn't sure. And then you look into it. So I think the first thing is, is be open-minded. Not everything is going to be right for you or right for your practice, but it's it's making that time to look at it and say, do you know what? This could really work. Everyone's got different pulls on their time and pressures that they're under. And obviously we know the whole of the vet industry is under a lot of pressure at the moment. So it, it's finding those things that are really going to help you find efficiencies, provide the best level of care that you can and also work with your owners like most of our owners one of the joys I got from being in practice was sometimes working with my owners there were some I didn't get so much joy from but it's that collaboration piece as well I think that's perfect it's exciting I think the future is exciting you know we we spoke with Emmanuel about the sort of future of tech and data and data gathering and analytics in in equine practice and how she's using them and how we might be moving forward with that from a clinical perspective but I think also from that horse health owner relationships and more hands-off approach I think as well it's really exciting as to what we can be doing with all of that and I think you guys are leading the way on that one that's the the hope the vision the other thing that excites me on top of that I agree with absolutely everything Naomi said what excites me the little researcher in me is like it's we actually have access to real whole face data for research that actually helps to improve field side stable side not some theoretical thing that's not anywhere close to actually the horse and how it is used Uh, and for me I'm most excited about the research that can be done by practitioners Mm -hmm. so many veterinary professionals would love to have more say in research but it's too far to go into the traditional academic realms it's not possible so I feel there's also a collaboration between our researchers our specialists and our general practitioner actually having a say in the research that they the questions that they really want answered and I find that so exciting yeah 100% me too I think the future with data and tech and research is just enormous I mean there's so much data out there already it's almost like there's too much to harness and we don't quite know what to do with it yet. But I think that is going to become clear over a period of time. And whether that's 
through projects supported by people like Ublaze or practitioners on the ground in conjunction with academics and universities I think the future is exciting and the possibilities are kind of endless really which is super cool if listeners of this podcast are keen to be thinking about how they can do on the ground research I think that's definitely something that we would love to hear about either through MSD or or through VSGD as well that that piping up with ideas is how things get off the ground and I think if people have got them then Certainly, there's places to go now where you can put them out to people and, and that things can happen, which is so cool. 100%. We run a research bursary for, well, students and nurses and vets in practice, in general practice. That's obviously a little piece of funding and, and support from that. But as you said, you know, the data we could potentially collect in the future is almost mind blowing and not being a data analyst. Yeah, but the ways we could use it is really exciting. I think the possibilities that it presents to us. And that, listeners, is the beauty of podcasting because we had not discussed that and I didn't know that MSD had a research grant for practitioners. So there you go. If anyone feels like getting in touch, students, nurses or vets, that sounds very cool. Where can people find out more details about that place? So it'll be on the MSD website. It's also on our LinkedIn pages. There is a specific link which I will put in the notes for this show. Look, I think you can probably tell all three of our voices got more excited and rapid by the end of this podcast because we are three women and equine veterinary practitioners and stay versifiers and diversifiers that really do care about the future, the future of innovation, the future of animal health, the future of our working lives as veterinary professionals. And I think that was just a lovely vignette, Blaze, showcasing not only what you as an individual and a veterinary professional member within this wonderful global community but also it's so lovely to hear culturally what MSD are really willing to trial and and take to the fore and collaborate and you know with even that research piece there it just goes to show you're looking at it from all angles so I'm really really excited to keep watching this space for MSD uh, and really excited as well to hear what our listeners are going to have after the back of hearing not just this episode, but all the episodes we've recorded have all been like, we would just love to continue these conversations. So a massive thank you, Blaze. 100%. What an amazing show. Many thanks to today's guests. If you want more information, have a look at the show notes or drop us a line at kbhhuk at msd.com.